Welcome to the We Are Here podcast, a podcast all about entrepreneurship on the South Coast, collecting stories and lessons from entrepreneurs and community leaders to learn firsthand how they've built their business or organization so we can build our own. The South Coast is a small place, and we're letting the business world know that we are here. Show your support by liking us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the We Are Here podcast, and join the newsletter for all of our latest announcements and upcoming episodes at southcoast.fm slash subscribe. That's southcoast.fm slash subscribe. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the We Are Here podcast. This episode is a short one. This one is with my good friend, Dr. Steve White, Professor Steve White over at UMass. This is a part of a live stream that we do on Facebook. Make sure you subscribe to Facebook, facebook.com slash the We Are Here podcast. Let's get into the episode. Thank you, Matt. It's an honor to be here. And I'm, I'm particularly honored to be in the Female Founders Week. <laughs> well, you you know you you have influenced so many great female founders uh, through your uh, through your teachings uh, over at UMass, uh, and that's what folks are going to learn a little bit about today. So, for folks who don't know who you are, and my God, how don't they? Who are you, and what do you do? My name's Steve White. I'm a professor of marketing and international business at the Charlton College of Business, UMass Dartmouth. I've been there since 1998. Prior to that, for two years, 96 through 98, I was at Bridgewater State University. And then prior to that, I was at Cleveland State University. I I came to this area in 96 with Manny Ramirez and Bill Belichick as part of the great uh, Ohio to Cleveland trade. (laughs) So you've seen a thing or two. You've seen a thing or two at your time here. I got lots, lots of questions. We got a little bit of time today, about a half hour. Uh, so folks who are watching the live stream, if you want to ask some questions of Steve, uh, we'll get those answered throughout the show. Go ahead and drop those in the live stream comments. Uh, this episode will also be recorded, sent up to the iTunes feed later on. All right, big deep breath. Business and marketing on the South Coast. What are the biggest opportunities that you see for the South Coast and anybody who's launching a business today, is, it a, is there an underserved market here? Is there a plethora of, of good, educated workers in this area that people can take advantage of? What is it? Like, what can people really dig into to succeed on the South Coast uh, in either business or marketing from your perspective? So for me, I mean, having been here 22 years, more or less, it's that we are the land of opportunity in Massachusetts and Rhode Island, that that Providence metropolitan statistical area. Uh, There are 580,000 people in Bristol County alone. You think about that and you think about our land mass and our cost of living, and I can't stress that cost of living enough. So uh, were I a tech firm or a manufacturer and I wanted to be on the East Coast close to everything within 500 miles probably of 80% of the US population, I would pick here mostly because of our quality of life. We live in paradise, Matt. Yeah. The, one of the things that I, I, I see, and, and you and I have talked about this at length before, uh, especially when we've done sort of like mentorship stuff with, with students at UMass, is a lot of students are thinking to themselves, it's not around here, right? I'm not going to get that tech job around here. I'm not going to get that engineering job or that cool Silicon Valley type startup job around here. Might have to drive an hour, hour and a half, uh, you know, if you have your fingers crossed up to Boston, uh, more like three hours uh, on, on a daily commute. But a lot of people looking at New York, San Francisco and Austin, Texas, things like that. Uh, from your perspective, from 
kids and, and students who are graduating, I mean, are they finding those jobs around here? Uh, are there those types of opportunities in this area? Are they just starting to come up uh, and we're on the, the cusp of some, um, some great opportunity here? I, I believe that we're starting to flourish. If you look at what's going on around like Chris Resendez and the Internet of Things and then Beauregard and his engineering group and then Charlie Merrow and Fall River, you're finding a lot of not baby boomers, but the, the next generation, the Generation X and the beginning of the millennials are planting roots down here and starting companies and just building the crap out of them. Mm. And again, when you look at the talent from the, the universities, the community colleges, I think that we have everything a business would need to start up. Plus, then where else can you find a farm on the ocean? Right. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. Um, you know, what? it's crazy to me. I mean, being in technology and, and sort of doing web services for so long and, and consulting in this space, it, sometimes it's just like local businesses, they, they just haven't caught up. They haven't caught up. Like, I think now they have caught up to to Facebook. And we're going to talk about some of the stuff about Facebook in the news lately, especially as a, as a marketer and as a business builder. But I feel like there's always this lag. Why do you think that is? Why do you think small businesses lag in picking up either technology or marketing technologies so late in the game? And how costly is that uh, for the small business owner, you know, two, three years from now? I, I think it's been a, a process. You look at most small business owners that were at the end of the baby boomer generation, the start of the Gen X owning businesses and some millennials. But for the most part, you look at people in my group, the baby boomers, they, they still aren't comfortable with social media. Um, when we had discussions probably over a, a decade ago when I was involved with a social media business, people didn't want to pay. Right. They didn't. They they said it's free. Why should I pay you? And I wouldn't work for free. So right. obviously our <laughs> business our business folded. But we couldn't make it on the South Coast for a variety of reasons. But the biggest reason was that the value wasn't perceived. Mm. And I think that's changing as again the the Gen X and the Millennials start opening businesses. You're digital natives. So you know the power of this. You you know how it's working out. We have so many good, like Slocum Design Studio, and there's, there's a group down in the south end of New Bedford that I won't mention, but everybody knows. We have so much talent. And then you look on the video size with the uh, Nick Francis and the France. I can't imagine a better place for social media to sprout up, but it's going to take changing the mindset of the baby boomers who still own some of the larger enterprises around here. Do you think with all of this news uh, about Facebook, uh, sort of, you know, uh, the whole data privacy and how much data are they collect collecting, you know, and, and I've heard this story sort of go around a little bit before. Just the other day, I was talking, or Saturday, I was talking about, you know, replacing my porch and I was talking to somebody in my house and, you know, I just said Trex deck. I said it out yes. loud, right? I don't have an Alexa. Yeah. I have nothing. I have no uh, voice operated stuff except for my phone. And minutes later, I was served up a Trex deck ad in my Instagram feed. And I have never searched for Trex deck. I just said it. Um, do you think these types of things around this data privacy with Facebook are going to keep the baby boomers and maybe the more traditional business owner a little bit further away from really being in the social space? Well, I, again, I mean, you look at Facebook, the largest demographics of baby boomers, mm -hmm. and it's mostly grandparents like myself uh, using FaceTime or 
on, on the iPhone or using Facebook Live to stay in touch with their grandchildren. So I think that we understand, but what isn't understood by, and I, I'm, I guess I'm overgeneralizing for the generation, what isn't understood is what the cost of that access is. And when you look at an advertising model, which is what most social media operates on, they have to sell something to advertisers. Right. And having been in the ad industry, you know, it's access. It's access to customers and targeting. I mean, if we have time, I'll tell you where I think it's going, but we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. This Cambridge analytical scandal and Facebook, that's just the tip of the iceberg. It's going to be much more connected within the next five years. I was thinking about this today uh, as I was running to get my coffee. And, as you know, I, I see a lot of influential social media type people and, and even like angel investors talk about, well, Facebook should move to a paid model. You know, if Facebook moved to a paid model, uh, there wouldn't there wouldn't be this need to to do like data mining and tracking all this stuff, and they just get you know whatever it might be five bucks a month, like whatever they find what the 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 market will pay. But I was thinking to myself, it's probably our data is is going to be way more valuable than what they could charge somebody, right? Like the the value that we get per person is probably thousands of dollars, right? Uh, that yeah. they sell to advertisers that no one would even match what they're making on our data to a, a, a monthly bill just for the sake of opting out. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Like, we're, if this is the tip of the iceberg, what do you what do you think is next? What what are we going to uncover next month? So let's let's just look at Facebook for a minute. They're out of the seven point seven billion people on the planet. Two billion people are on Facebook. Facebook's the largest friggin' country on the planet. If you th yeah. think about it, right? And if they charge five dollars, I mean, that's ten billion dollars a month. That that's some pretty good income, right? So I don't know how many of the two billion would stay for right. five billion, <laughs> but I think this this premium is going to continue. And again, as we become more interconnected, so where where do I think it's all going? I think it's going to be personalized marketing, Matt, and it's. One of my mentors, Martha Rogers, wrote a book in about 19, I had to remember, I think 1993. It's called One-to-One -one Marketing. It was uh, Peppers and Rogers. Mm -hmm. And she kicked off One-to-One -one Marketing and taught companies how to integrate their, their systems. Prior to 93, systems weren't integrated. Shipping and receiving wasn't integrated with accounting, marketing, et cetera. And then that kicked off the ERP, CRM movement. So where do I think we're going? I, I think that like I had my DNA run through 23andMe. I ran my DNA through a secondary service called Prometheus for $5. Prometheus uh, alerted me to like some significant health issues. So where do I think we'll be in the future? 100% personalized marketing based on your DNA, your social media habits, right? Your banking habits. Alexa already knows when my lights go on or off in my house, my cell phone. They're going to have such a granular picture of you, Matt, that they'll be able to, marketers will be able to anticipate what you need, when you need it, before you do, using predictive uh, analytics or artificial intelligence. And that's pretty scary. Mm. So, so this maybe, maybe uh, a diet shows up, food shows up on my doorstep, what I should eat. So the way you frame this is, this is... Although it might sound great for consumers like, hey, I don't have to watch any ads that I don't want to watch or I don't need to buy products that I don't want to buy. 
uh, it might sound great, <laughs> but it's really, really scary at, at the deep level that, that this, that this goes into. Um, it doesn't sound all that great for consumers, but obviously great for businesses. Do you think that, uh, you know, from what you've seen so far that there will be some, some regulation behind this, or do you think it's, we're in too deep at this point that there's no way that we're, we're going to get out of this uh, thing unless the people sort of moved away from uh, a Facebook platform. I think the genie's out of the bottle. Mm. I don't think that we can unplug now. We live digital lives. And just like the, the other day, I left my phone in my office for three hours and almost panicked. You know, when you're not, <laughs> when you're not connected or receiving alerts, are you alive? Right. You know, it's just, so I, I think, again, this, this advertising revenue, the stream, you think about it. And combined with the shift for millennials, especially, and now the Gen Zers be, behind them, from mainstream media, nobody's watching commercial television anymore, unless you're me or my wife, and my wife controls the remote, so right. it's not. <laughs> what do you think? So let's, let's, let's bring it down to maybe a small business owner who might be like, okay, this Facebook stuff, that's pretty high level. I don't do any kind of uh, uh, Facebook advertising yet. I might not even use the platform to really, quote, unquote, grow my business. Or maybe they tried, and they realized it's a pay-to-play model now, and I'm just not willing to throw money at it. Yes. Or, organically, organic, what I'll just call organic marketing or organic promotion. Uh, what are the big opportunities that you see that somebody who doesn't want to throw dollars at a Facebook platform or Google ads, where can they really win today to avoid that big machine? So you, you look by business category and try to figure out what makes sense for your consumers, what they're touching. So somebody like Shelly, who was on, does short videos and a lot of Instagram. Mm -hmm. Because she's, you know, kind of has an artsy shop, mm -hmm. Hippo downtown, and that seems to work very well for her. Other businesses, fashion particularly, Calico, all the businesses, and I'm only picking on New Bedford because I, I live in downtown New Bedford, but they're doing really well at tying people in. So where your customers are dictates which platform you should be on. The question is, do you know your customers well enough to figure out which platform? Right, right. And I have given this advice to folks before about having conversations with their customers. You know, uh, if we walk into a brick and mortar store that you know, either a restaurant or a store like like Shelley's where they're selling items and they're face to face with customers every day. And we ask, you know, have you been building an email list? Yes. Uh, have you been, you know, asking your customers uh, through surveys or even just asking them at the register when they're checking out? Uh, you know, what did you think about your shopping experience? Anything that we can do better? Um, I find that most people aren't doing that. Uh, is that just a, a, a time constraint? Folks aren't just privy to getting feedback from customers or maybe it's just a hurdle to get them to do something else other than make the transaction. Um, how do you sort of give advice to folks to, to get to know their customers if they're not simply talking to them? Uh, I, I think that you touched on something that I, I think is the most important part of social media. And much like I pronounced podcasting dead 10 years ago, that's yeah. how wrong I was about <laughs> podcasting. Uh, people have been predicting that email marketing has been dead for 10 years. And for me, it's still the number one marketing mm -hmm. tool. If I could get a 100,000 name opt-in email list I would, if I could generate one, I would retire today. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's all I do would be make money off my email list. So email marketing, remember we tried QR codes. Yep. Uh, 
people were like the Celtic Coffee House had a QR code the size of, I don't know, a stop sign on yeah. their wall, which is a little obtrusive. But I think it was through constant contact. There are ways to build lists. But if I knew the, the secret, again, I wouldn't be lecturing. I'd be out, out <laughs> doing it. It's hard, but you should make the ask. So what we did at uh, events when I was doing business-to-business marketing was the old fishbowl trick. You know, yep. Yep. put a fishbowl out, have people drop business cards in, knowing that they're going to be on your opt-in email list, and then there's a random drawing for a prize, and then you collect, you know, a thousand, two thousand business cards. One of the things that I'm sort of big on is is getting that. Uh, so you know that uh, my my father, well, my father and his brothers and his father before him were in a car dealership. I worked there. Um, yes. and the handshake, right? The, the handshake of meeting a customer for the very first time is huge. You learn a lot in that split nanosecond, uh, based on a handshake, uh, body language, eye contact, how you introduce yourself, how they introduce themselves. There's a whole bunch of things firing off at once at that point to understand your customer. Unfortunately, we don't get that in the digital world because we're not sitting alongside of them when they're browsing our website or looking at our mobile, you know, website on their phone or whatever. Um, any tips to get people to hand over uh, the email or get a little feedback on a digital platform, stuff that you've seen sort of work in the past or stuff that you might be see upcoming as an opportunity uh, than, uh, you know, than just simply asking people to, hey, give me your email address? So it, it sounds like pandering, I guess, but <laughs> I, Yelp reviews are a really good way to engage people. So I think any business that has a business site or, or, or active service product should have a Yelp page that they control. And Yelp, I, I don't know if it's still hip. It's much, it's uh, outlasted Foursquare. I mean, that, mm -hmm. that's, that's clear. But Yelp reviews are a great way to start engaging yeah. then, especially if they're not the most positive review. It gives you a time to upsell. Yeah. and to bring people back. But any social media comments that you receive, you need to engage. You, if they're good, you say thank you and reinforce that they had a good experience. If they're tepid, then offer to make the experience better. And if they're negative, address any of the negatives you can. Uh, but at some point, you has, have to realize that you'll have a small percentage of what I used to call when I worked in retail, uh, CFHs, customers from hell and no matter what you do you'll never satisfy them right uh yeah i mean there's there's only three types of buyers out there right there's the people who will buy the people yes. who will never buy and then there's the in-betweeners right the people who are in between the people who are never buys is are the ones you you need to really identify and get out of the way really quick um when i'm searching for like the other day uh, uh i rent a house i had a heater problem a furnace problem and I had to get uh, a plumber to come, to come look at it, right? So, I don't have a plumber in my back pocket, so I had to, I had to do some Google search, um, and I looked at a bunch of, you know, because I'm more website digitally oriented. I, I landed on a bunch of websites, and I'm like, this one sucks, this one sucks, this one sucks, and then I get yeah. to one that had uh, uh, a, um, a scheduling form, right? I could actually just make my appointment right through there, right through their website, and it was the easiest thing ever. And I was like, finally somebody who gets it, right? Yes. I didn't have to talk to anybody. I didn't have to, I could just explain my situation. And it was already at like 10 o'clock at night. So uh, I wasn't really going to talk to anybody at that time anyway, but I could just put in my problem and they said, I'll, we'll, we'll call you in the morning uh, when, you know, we look at this, blah, 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 whatever it was. Yeah. Um, but that's one out of 10. Yeah. 
I mean, but you're also go ahead. I, I mean, I was just going to say that, like, number one, that's that's huge opportunity for these nine other businesses that are out there, but also a huge opportunity for maybe nine other consultants that might do what you and I do to reach yeah. out to these people and improve businesses. I mean, but it's a it's a tug of war of small business owner, no budget, don't really understand this, consultant needs to eat, like you said earlier, people need yes. to get paid to get work done. Um, it's always that tug of war in the small business. Um, I don't really have a question there, but if you have any general thoughts wrapped around that. Yeah, so you look at, um, in, in Massachusetts, just in Massachusetts, um, small business, 500 employees or less, make up like 51% of the workforce. Mm -hmm. Out of that 51%, that means large business, over 500 employees, like 49%. Out of that 51%, about 80% are micro enterprises, yep. less than 10 people. And then 80% of that's like a sole proprietorship, you know? Right. So when you talk about the plumbers, one, they're making like 150 bucks an hour. And they're they're working twenty four seven. Right. But it's an opportunity for them. Like I I like what you guys did at Slocum Design Studio that the WordPress templates for lawyers because they were in the same boat. They weren't doing anything. Right. They weren't doing the right thing on social media. And I'm certain that you built in contact and request for service uh, because I know you. Um, and I thought it was a major breakthrough. You found a niche that people weren't addressing and you helped them serve their clientele and generate business. Right. So yes, the, the trades are a magnificent opportunity, but you're dealing with a group of people who are so busy and have such limited time that they need to see the value. They, they, I think the value proposition model is the best way to approach them. Mm. And what right. is, what they is, have, what is the value proposition model for those listening, and myself included, because I'm an idiot? <laughs> oh, you're, you're the smartest idiot I know. Then. It's, uh, it's essentially coming in and saying, here's the value that I can add to your business. Here's what you're doing now. Here's where you can be. And some advertising agencies are now only paying or charging for results, which I think is dangerous coming from the ad industry, right? But if you look at a results-based model, you only get paid if you succeed. Hmm. So as long as you can show an uptick in leads, an uptick in conversions, an uptick in sales, you're going to be uh, a valued asset. That is, uh, that's an interesting model. That's one that I've heard as well, that some people are moving to, uh, especially in the e-commerce world, right? Where there's a, yeah. there is an instant transaction uh, versus maybe a like a pre-sales thing or a discovery thing that has to happen with even plumbers or your traditional service business. Um, for sure, that could be dangerous if somebody is starting out with that and they're promising uh, results. Uh, have, did you ever promise results as an advertiser? No. Uh, and this is terrible to tell you, but I left the ad industry in 96 full time. And uh, it was traditional advertising. It wasn't social media at the time. And we basically, I was an account executive. I was a VP, but for all practical purposes, account executive. Uh, people ask if I invest in advertising, will my sales increase? And I'd lie. And I'm, huh? <laughs> yeah, I got to get paid, right? Get paid. The, the question is, how much should they invest? And I can tell you as a professor and having studied it for over 20 years, there's no linear relationship between ad dollars spent and sales. Right. We can't say for every dollar spent in advertising, you get five dollars in sales. Mm. That that it doesn't exist. We just know that to get through that um, attention, interest, desire, action 
process that consumers go through to purchase that you have to advertise. You have to be there. They have to be aware that you exist. They have to be interested in your product or service. Right. They have to want it, and then they have to purchase. Yeah. You know, I, I think, again, from from where I sit, the lens that I look through, I, I really feel like going back to the small business owner, especially like a plumber or, you know, a Celtic coffee house or whatever coffee house you might be, you know, uh, patronizing at the time, that this is like a, you know, I need to lose weight. You go to a trainer and the trainer says, what do you eat? And you say, I eat three slices of pizza every morning. <laughs> and they say, well, stop eating the pizza, right? Like there's this thing where you actually have to do the work, uh, the yes. hard work. Not only do you have to work out, but there's all this other stuff, right? You have to eat right. You have to sleep well, all this other stuff. And same thing to succeed online. It's not just, okay, I got a website. I'm good. Nope. Now you have to do website plus, you know, email list. And oh, by the way, you have to be social, right? Because now you're either going to pay for traffic or you're going to be somebody who, you know, whatever, does a podcast, does some YouTube videos, posts on Facebook and Twitter all the time, or goes out into and to do networking events and things like that to drive organic traffic. Yes. I, I, I found that people are afraid of that. They're afraid of telling their story. Um, and I don't even, maybe it's not even afraid. It's maybe they just don't know where to start. Um, I think storytelling is really big for, for yes. organic marketing today. Um, how has it evolved uh, or has it evolved from your perspective? Oh, it's, it's immense. I mean, the transformation's immense. You look like there's a content marketing institute in right. Cleveland and it, it's pretty well known. But um, the spinoff from that, the fastest growing advertising platform today is native advertising. Mm which is basically content marketing that's paid placement. Right. So you um, call me up, I have a magazine, you pay me $1,500, miraculously I do a featured story on you. And put a, <laughs> How did and that put show a, up there? I don't know. And put a couple ads in for your business. So this native advertising, especially in the online world, is uh, one of the better strategic partnerships. But getting back to what you were saying, when we talk about strategic partnerships or what um, strategic value you bring, you are providing a solution. You're a solution provider. You're not selling. You become a partner with the business for whom you build websites. And I like to tell companies that it's like filling an in-ground swimming pool with a shot glass. <laughs> <laughs> it takes a long time to get that 33,000 gallons filled up, but it's worth the effort. And yeah. in the end, you can enjoy it for a long time. Do you do you kind of chuckle at the phrase content marketing? Uh, because, you know, I feel like that's that's like what it's always like. It's always been about creating content, even probably way back when. Uh, no offense when I say way back. When I say way yeah. back when you were in when advertising. Yeah, you, you were most sorry. You were most likely creating content through ads, right? In the in the good old days of advertising. Um, is it a fun? Is this just like a tongue in cheek phrase, or just like another how marketers just come up with buzzwords and that's all it is? And it's always been content marketing, or or is it different? Well, I think, I mean, I'm going to blame Chris Brogan. Yep. And and uh, I don't know where Chris is now. I mean, his career was was spectacular 15 years ago mm -hmm. or so. But blogging became the content for content marketing because of the permanence of blogging. Yeah. Like I, I have, I've had a blog since 2010 or 20, 2008 maybe. My most popular post, the post that gets like 200 views a day, was written in 2010. Yep. <laughs> you look at that. 
which is amazing, mostly because I don't update it anymore. I just don't have time. But look at the permanence of something that you place. Mm. So, yeah, content marketing is tongue-in-cheek. I mean, even a 30-second TV ad or 30-second radio ad, which is roughly 70 words or less, is a content marketing scheme. Yeah. Right? You have to write wonderful copy in 70 words or less that grabs people, informs them, and then includes a call to action. Yeah. I'm actually surprised that traditional network uh, television ads haven't become more creative with all of the social platforms that we have and the, uh, uh, the emphasis on storytelling, like, like a to be continued or like, you know, something that just connects consumers uh, for that 30 second spot to their, you know, Facebook page a little bit better or, um, you know, cause we hear these things from, you know, talking heads like Gary Vaynerchuk, which is like, a, you have a, you either have a love hate relationship with that guy. Cause you're either like, this guy is just too insane for me. I can't take it anymore. Uh, or you just consume every word that he puts out. And he's saying, everybody has to be a media company. Everybody has to be, you have to create these, you know, all of these stories, whether he's just saying that because of what he's doing, I don't know, but I'm just, I'm just shocked that these big brands with buco dollars haven't really done anything different. At least maybe I'm not seeing it, but I don't see any, I don't see them really pushing uh, the boundaries there. So look at what Vaynerchuk did, starting with his parents' wine shop, mm. and go back and look at some of his early. He was like a video marketing guru because yeah. he was the first. I mean, his his only fault is he wants to buy the New York Jets. Right. <laughs> I mean, other than that, he's really good at what he does. Yeah. But he learned. He bootstrapped. Right. You look at his first videos they sucked but they were hilarious mm. you know and then he got more professional and then grew into the media company i mean the guy is everywhere like you said love hate relationship but he knows that all companies today even ad agencies are becoming their own media companies and that's as long as you can put out the content you own the content you develop the content i agree with you i think advertising will move online more so than it already is i mean the super bowl ads are already teased out on youtube right. like a week before the super bowl but the to be continued stories going to be like an episode because nobody's watching network television anymore right we'll leave it at sort of this last sort of thought threads of thought here is you know uh, to bring back Gary Vaynerchuk, you said, look at his beginnings, like look at what he was doing. And I remember those wine library TV episodes. Yeah. And I remember when he was talking about, you know, from a developer standpoint, the, I think the first place I found him was at a, uh, a Ruby on rails uh, conversation. And it's really just because he was dropping all kinds of F bombs during the, <laughs> during the yes. presentation. And people were like, who is this guy on stage swearing? Um, but look at where he started and look at the baby steps. Cause I think as grandiose as, you know, he might seem nowadays, he still kicks it back to say, look, I have a million followers on YouTube now, but look where I was 10 years ago. I mean, I was on YouTube 10 years ago, but look at, look how crap it was right now. Look at where I am today. And I think it's a true testament to most people or foremost small business owners to say, you got to start doing something because if you don't start doing something, uh, you know, in a year from now, again, just like dieting, just like working out, it's like, I need to get beach body ready. And then it's like, I guess I should have stopped eating that pizza, you know, in your July sitting on Horseneck Beach. Uh, what is the one thing that you would give advice to a small business owner today to say, you know what, this is the thing you should start doing right now, because six months, a year, two years from now, you'll be in a better position. So I'm, I'm in agreement with something you said earlier. I think more small business owners should post short videos 
and should show their personalities. Mm. Because at the end of the day, you are your business, for better or worse. Mm. And some people will love you, some people will hate you, but at least you are the brand at that point. Video seems to work, in my opinion, better than content, mm -hmm. written content. But if I could give anyone any advice, it'd be start doing what you did early, what Vaynerchuk did early, what Shelly's doing now. Don't be afraid to put yourself out there. Yeah. Be an idiot. You know? yeah. You're going to learn. You're, it's it's going to go well. Um, I'll just, two things, if I could. Yeah. One, uh, we, we were the first, our social media agency in this region, to break the third wall with QR codes. So I was working for a friend that you know who was passed away that had a dealership. Mm -hmm. And we were putting QR codes in his Sunday dealership ads. And you would scan the code, and it would be a 30-second video of him um, talking about the deals that week. Mm. That was huge. The other is, and I'm so proud of you and Slocum designed for this, you were the first group in this region that I could identify who understood and implemented responsive design mm. at a time when nobody was talking about responsive design and building it into your WordPress sites for businesses. So Matt, I just want to leave you with, I'm appreciative of what you have done for the social media community in this region. Oh, I appreciate that, Steve. It means a lot coming from you. Where can folks find you on the web to say thanks and to pay you? And, and wh where do I mail my check, basically? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have two American dollars on me today because payday <laughs> was last week. So I'm, I'm, I'm good for today. I don't need a check. But you can find me on Twitter, D. Stephen White, it's D. S-T-E-V-E-N, White, or on Facebook, Steve White. Look for Matt. I'm linked to Matt. Or on LinkedIn, um, Stephen White, you'll find me, again, by checking Matt's profile and looking in his contacts. I'm, I'm on every social media, but I have to tell you that uh, I'm not as good as your generation is at keeping up with it. <laughs> well, you're very responsive on Facebook, that we know. Steve, thanks for joining the show. Everyone else, it's southcoast.fm. That's the website, www.southcoast.fm slash subscribe. Uh, you can join the mailing list, which we talked about today. Mailing lists are very important. That's why I'll let you know when the next episode comes out, when new giveaways are there. And don't forget, today is the last day for the Hippo $25 gift card giveaway from Shelly. Listen to her episode. It's amazing. Again, this episode will be up on iTunes, uh, hopefully by the end of the day. Thanks for everybody. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to this episode. Hope you learned a ton from today's guest. Shared a lot of value and experiences for running a business and doing entrepreneurship on the South Coast. So I hope you take a lot out of it. Don't forget to subscribe to the show. This episode is brought to you by Slocum Studio. You can find Slocum Studio at slocumstudio.com. If you need to get your marketing in order, landing pages, get your conversions up, build that email list, look no further than Slocum Studio at slocumstudio.com.